Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Time for another straight out of Cobham. This is the Chelsea podcast from The Athletic. On today's episode, home is where the heart is and the goals are for Lukaku. Kovacic Classy, Tyrone Mings, as does Saul. We'll get the lowdown on Zenit and the women's team romp to a first win of the season. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Happy Monday, listener. Hope it finds you well. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined for today's pod by The Athletic's Chelsea correspondent, Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. And the one-time Chelsea youth turned middle-aged pundit, Sam Parkin. Thanks, Matt. Good morning. <laughs> I wrote that and I thought, that's a bit mean, but you and I are the same age, so I think it's fine. Um, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Saturday saw Chelsea claim their second 3-0 home win of the season. We'll dissect the game against Aston Villa next. Kovacic, lovely couple of uh, drops to the shoulder to send Villa players the wrong way and now he's released Lukaku, his first opportunity of the afternoon and he's put it away! Magnificent goal from Romelu Lukaku! We play like a team, we have again a certain energy, we are able to win games, um, we want to concede less shots, absolutely, we want to give less chances away, don't forget it's, it's after national break, begin of the season, so there are some reasons why games can look like this. If you are still able to win 3-0, this is a, 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 a good way to progress. Three and easy for Chelsea against Villa on Saturday then? Uh, not really. The visitors were more than a match for the Blues in the first half, but came up against a goalkeeper in fine form and were made to pay for some wayward finishing. Simon and I were both at the bridge on Saturday, but only one of us had the sense to record a voice note post-match. Listener, see if you can guess who it is over the course of the next 1 minute and 48 seconds. Welcome home, Romelu Lukaku. His second home debut, certainly more memorable than his first. Two fantastic goals, making the difference in what was not the best performance from Chelsea by any means. But Chelsea got the real deal here up front. There have been many false dawns with other target men, but this is a 97.5 million finished article. Two chances, two goals. In previous years, Chelsea would have dropped points here because they wouldn't have had a t- target man in the Lukaku mould. We're talking Drogba here, we're talking Diego Costa, and as I'm talking, Tuchel has gone up to Lukaku, embraced him. The two exchanging words and smiles. And the noise you can hear of the Chelsea fans reacting to Lukaku as he walks down the tunnel, Tuchel smiling broadly. But Chelsea got away with one today. They were shambolic in the first half, particularly, unfortunately, the debut of Sal Niguez. 45 minutes to forget for the Spaniard, but one has to sort of bear in mind it was his first outing in English football. He clearly needs time to adapt to the pace of the game. But Chelsea showed the strength of their squad. They were able to bring on Jorginho, 
who shore things up. Typical, a short performance in midfield. Crucial mistake by Tyrone Means for another man and match contender, Matteo Kovacic, to run onto and actually score a goal. Yes, those of us here can say we were here to see it. Kovacic scoring a goal, but Chelsea be very happy to get away with 3-0 win. Not their best, but that's a sign of a very good side. Chelsea 3, Aston Villa 0, and now on to the Champions League defence. Certainly been a very good start of the season for Thomas Tuchel. Simon, you've had some time to, to reflect on the game. Are you still of the opinion that, that Chelsea played their get-out-of-jail-free card, also known as Romelu Lukaku here? <laughs> yeah, it, but I also see it as a positive, uh, another positive about this this Chelsea squad that uh, they weren't anywhere near their best, probably looked as defensively shaky as I've seen them for quite a long time. But a sign, the, the cliche, the sign of a, a, I wouldn't say sign of champions, but a sign of certainly a title contender is being able to win when not playing well. And one of the reasons why is they were able to do that was because they've got that missing piece in, in the puzzle, the, the striker. It felt like the whole stadium, I didn't sort of make reference to it in the voice note, but it felt like there was a, the whole stadium paused as the ball came to Lukaku's, onto his left foot. And it was like, for me, I was watching that moment going, I've seen so many big name strikers at this moment fluff their lines. It just felt like a really important moment in terms of Lukaku, his season, etc. I know he'd already scored at Arsenal, but this was in front of his home fans. And to take it as cool as he did, the roar when it hit the back of the net, it was, it was almost like everyone just, it was obviously a celebration, but I think it was also a little bit of relief. Like, yes... We finally got a striker that you know that that's going to cost a lot of money. That's actually going to score lots of goals. It's not going to be. Perhaps I shouldn't reference some of the names of the past. Certainly not of the present squad. A certain TW. Um, <laughs> but say let, let's go Morata or you know um, Torres. Those two in those positions, you sort of got used to them missing missing their chances. So I just thought that that was a really key moment, not just for that game. And of course, the finish at the end. But also, I just think key for the season. It just shows that Lukaku is the real deal. Not that I had any doubts, but I just thought it was a really big moment for him. Sammy didn't do much besides score two brilliant goals. But that's kind of the point, right? Last season, Chelsea don't score three times in that match. Yeah, I, I thought he started the game really well, actually. there was, I think the first passage of play was Chaloba went long into Lukaku and his, his control was absolutely immaculate. And I think coming into this game, given how well he'd done in the Arsenal fixture, there wasn't the pressure there may have been um, going into the home game against Aston Villa when people would have anticipated him scoring, being too strong for the Villa defence. So I think he came in with that confidence. The, the first goal was already there. Of course, he would have wanted to score at Stamford Bridge. And I mean, the first goal was just poetry, wasn't it? I mean, you're not going to see a better pass all season, I don't think. I mean, it's that good and everything has to align. The movement was amazing because it was almost like I felt, you know, when someone's passing the baton, Lukaku had gone and wasn't even looking at the ball. And then the the, the baton was passed immaculately into his hand, if you like. Um, I just thought it was a brilliant goal. And as good as Aston Villa were in that system, maybe that space, you know, the outside the, the centre-half there, if they were more solid in the back four, those gaps possibly may not have been there. If Matty Cash would have been back in there to recover potentially. But I just thought it was a quite brilliant goal. And yeah, he didn't he didn't do a great deal else. Um, 
but that that goal, the third goal, was just sensational, and again just underlines the, the confidence he's playing with. Because that's not a goal I've seen, you know, regularly from him. You know, I, I wouldn't have. I think he was actually urging Aspilicueta to play it into Werner, who'd made the darts for the right hand side. He certainly gesticulated, pointed, so maybe he was um, going to make a, a run into the six yard box and get on the end of a cutback. But Aspilicueta obviously played into his feet, and he had to kind of adapt because I didn't think that's how he was feeling it was going to unfold so his couple of touches were lovely and the the finish was just sensational Uh, well we knew he was going to start the team sheet though did cause some consternation when it dropped at two o'clock Alonso captain mount on the bench and he was joined there by Ross Barkley Uh, Simon and Dom have teamed up for a joint piece on Barkley and Baba Rahman on The Athletic Uh, Simon we were all pretty surprised to see Ross listed amongst the subs. But then you think about it, you think about the players who were out and who were no longer at the club. It was just kind of needs must, wasn't it? I don't think he was ever likely to get on, but in order to fill nine substitutes, he needed to be amongst them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was it was still a surprise given also the tone of Tuchel's comments the day before, which, which were kind of like, yeah, he's around. Uh, I've seen positive signs, but, you know... I don't really know how this story ends. It, it all, all the kind of tone was, yeah, he's got a squad number because we couldn't get rid of him. That's that's basically how I read it in between the lines. But um, but no, it, I, I I then me and Don we decided to get together to sort of do a compare and contrast. Of course, Baba Rackman did make the loan to Reading. We, we'd hope that Danny Drinkwater might also play for Reading or at least be on the bench, but um, a bit of a worrying sign that he, he wasn't even involved in the match. Um, but we just thought it was a compare and contrast of, of how, you know, th- this is a fate that, that Ross Barkley may may sort of have to sort of accept in the near future of, of, of another loan elsewhere. But in terms, I, I, I was impressed. Look, impressed sounds too strong a word, actually. But I liked his body language during the whole thing because it must be a really tough time for him at the moment. He's he knows he's not really going to get much game time, but he was giving his utmost in in what sort of training drills he did before and after the game. But I liked the fact he was encouraging his teammates even after the game, which I make a reference to in the piece that Kovacic comes out to do post match media and he gives him a round of applause. I, I just thought, oh, you know, fair play. He's not he's not letting his personal situation get in the way of sort of acknowledging that, you know, his team obviously went out there and sort of performed. Certainly Kovacic, just quickly touching on him. I've always been someone that's been sort of very frustrated with his lack of end product in terms of assists and goals. Well, that that assist was up there with Cesc Fabregas, who, funnily enough, I'd sort of written a piece about as a memorable debut only like the day before. It was one of, as, as Sam sort of rightly pointed out, it was a sublime... Sublime bit of skill, sublime pass to thread it through that that fine do, and I want to see more of that. His finish, I'd hope he could finish a chance like that. I, I hope I could finish a chance like that. But um, <laughs> as far as Bartley goes, maybe he'll get some minutes coming forward just to get him out there, like EFL Cup, perhaps off the bench in, if Chelsea are doing well against Zenit, just to try and help attract some bids for a, a January loan instead. Uh, so Barkley hoping for minutes. Kovacic, excellent. Can't say the same for Saul, though, Sam. Bit of a nightmare debut. I guess as as an ex-pro, you sympathise with him. And, and also, do you understand why Thomas Tuchel took him off at half-time? Can't have done much for his confidence, but but it was a, a case of needs must, really. Yeah, I, I think due to the amount of 
opportunities Aston Villa were fashioning, he, he had to make that decision, really. Uh, he had to probably take out of the equation how the player will be feeling in the next couple of days. It would have been a judgment call, wouldn't it, have been on how Jorginho was feeling after the international duty, how well Saul was training. I'm sure they'd have weighed it all up and just decided to give him the opportunity on Saturday and it backfired. And I think a lot of the opportunities that Villa had were down to A, his positioning and B, obviously uh, the risks he was taking on the ball. I think they had 18 shots, Aston Villa, which doesn't ordinarily happen at, at Stamford Bridge. The last time was the Manchester City game in January. And I think a lot of that was down to those midfield players having the tenacity to rob the ball off Sal on a number of occasions. He was a bit lackadaisical in possession. You could point towards the the right-hand side, maybe, if you're being picky of Chalabur and Hudson-Odoi. Would it have been better to put him in with Azpilicueta for, for one? But I think that's, I think that's um, being a little bit harsh because I didn't think the two young players performed badly at all. I just felt it was a really difficult half for, for Sal, mainly due to the intensity of Ramsey for one and John McGinn when he came over to the other side. But I just thought Ramsey's power running with and without the ball um, caused issues time and time again. So it, it was a change that, that had to be made, I felt, because he's not going to change the system. I, I just thought it was a mistake from, from Tuchel, which he, he rightly corrected. Of course, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I, I did see that team sheet and go, oh, this is quite interesting that he's starting straight away. I know that, you know, Conte is missing and, and there was this concern about Jorginho having played a lot for Italy. But Tuchel talked about him looking good in training. It's like, yeah, but there's a huge ad- adaptation to the speed of La Liga compared to the Premier League. And I, I just felt a bit sorry for Saul in some some respects that he was sort of thrust into the, this sort of Premier League game from the outset. Very little time to play with his teammates. I thought the understanding, as well as Kovacic played, there wasn't an understanding between them. I thought... Another issue was Zayek and, and Havertz weren't exactly getting on the ball either when it was coming to them. They weren't keeping possession. It was a big reason why Lukaku had a f- as few touches as he did was because he just wasn't getting the ball. Like No one could give him the ball. And Sal's confidence just drained away visibly. He didn't help himself by dawdling on the ball. I mean, the, the John McGinn incident was just baffling. Um, so he has to take some responsibility. Maybe some other coaches, though, wouldn't have had the cojones to to make that call at half-time. I thought it was a no-brainer because if, if the game had carried on as it was, Chelsea were probably going to lose that. Um, and it's a compliment to Jorginho that he comes on and, and suddenly the, 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 the stormy seas have turned into calm waters and, and Chelsea sort of... Well, basically, once Kovacic scored, it was, it was quite a comfortable evening. But in, in, until then... Um, yeah, it wasn't a debut. From it was just funny because I, po- as I re- referred to, I posted this piece about memorable debuts and referred to Cesc Fabregas and sort of said, "Oh, Will Salisbury is he'll, he'll struggle to do as well as that one." <laughs> I didn't realise he's going to struggle that much. We went a bit early on the best and worst debuts the other week, didn't we? <laughs> Save that in our back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sam, the last individual I wanted to ask about was Callum Hudson-Odoi. He first started the season in the Premier League for him, started at right wing-back, finished as kind of a second striker alongside Lukaku. Am I being mean to say he didn't particularly impress in either position? Um, I felt he spent a lot of the time defending, 
which was probably, uh, you know, described the first half really, where Chelsea, I wouldn't say they played on the counter-attack, but Villa had large periods where they were in Chelsea's half. So I didn't think he got to the byline to, I think it was around about 55, 60 minutes when um, he, he was played in behind the fullback. So, yeah, he, he didn't do a, a great deal in an offensive sense, but that was just because of the sway of the game uh, and the way that, that Villa performed in that first half. Um, and then, yeah, they were kind of went to split strikers, didn't they? And I think by that stage, his race was almost run. He looked a little bit fatigued when he went up there. As Simon says, they weren't really connecting with the with Lukaku for one, and that was the case when Callum went up there as well. So it was interesting that when Thomas Tuchel was kind of explaining, describing the issues that they'd had, that they'd faced at the weekend, he did name-check Callum Hudson-Odoi as you know, someone that hadn't played many minutes, along with obviously the the problems that Sal had uh, had uh, encountered in the first half. So I did feel that was interesting because I didn't feel feel it was his worst game, but obviously he didn't affect it as a as a forward thinking wing back. Another player I had sympathy for in some respects um, because Tuchel absolutely berated him, like more than anybody else. Like he was on his case constantly shouting, really, really going after him. And and I can understand Tuchel's frustration and he expressed it very, very well after the game. But I, I just saw Hudson-Odoi drain before my very eyes in terms of confidence and belief. When you've got someone going after you like that constantly, it must be very difficult. Um, the other thing I have great sympathy for him is that what do we expect in the sense, or what does Tuchel expect when he constantly picks, well, he doesn't constantly pick him for one thing, and then he, he's playing him in his, probably his weakest position, apart from perhaps centre-half or goalkeeper. Um, you know, he's right wing-back. He's not a right wing-back. He never will be. And now he probably won't play for a few weeks. And it's kind of like this revolving circle of barely giving him any game time, picking him out of position, and then complaining that he's not giving enough or doing enough. That's not to sort of say Hudson Odoi is completely devoid of responsibility. You know, what chances he gets, he's got to do more of or more with them. But I just feel like it would have been best for all concerned if he'd been allowed to go on loan. Because then uh, we, we still don't know 100 games in how good Hudson Odoi is. We, we just don't know because he's not playing regularly enough to get the answer in his best position. Whereas we might have seen that if he'd been able to go to Borussia Dortmund. But Hudson Doy has got to somehow, when he gets these rare outings, even if it is at right wing back, do more than he does. But he, he just doesn't look like he's confident playing in front of Thomas Tuchel, who likes to give him a verbal volley every time he doesn't do something. Uh, Simon, before we move on from, from Villa... We had a question from another Simon about Marcos Alonso getting the captain's armband. That, that was an interesting one. Thiago Silva and, and Tony Rudiger both started the game. Was there anything said about why Alonso was picked as captain? Unfortunately, we, with uh, I think I've made reference to this before, the, the useless post-match press conferences, which last two seconds, um, we didn't get a chance to ask. I read it as great man management. See, I'm going to flip now on Tuchel because obviously he's a great manager. You know, don't get me wrong with my Hudson and Doyle uh, outburst. I just think he's got that one wrong a little bit. Um, but I think I'd like to think it's it's great man management, as in 
you know, you, you've come in, you've started the season well, I want to give you this sort of accolade. Um, I also perhaps took it as a hint that, you know, this is a sign that Chilwell's about to come in. Um, and before, that's how I'm reading it. Maybe I'm reading too much into things that Chilwell's now going to start playing again. And before I before I bring Chilwell in, here's an honour. Also, you know, Alonso, he was being linked very strongly with the move away this summer. I think he's he's not the best left back in the world, but in terms of left wing back, I think he continues to be a, a, a fine contributor to this Chelsea squad. And I think it was a, a good thing that out of the two left wing backs that left, um, Emerson was the one that made way because I think Alonso over the course of his career, as is shown by the fact that no defender scored more goals since he joined, um, has, has done more than more than most to keep his place. Well, Chelsea and Aston Villa will meet again next week in the League Cup. Next today, we'll turn our focus to the Champions League. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Chelsea begin the defence of the Champions League trophy they lifted in Porto back in May when Zenit visits Stamford Bridge in the opening game in Group H for both teams. Joining us now to fill us in on the reigning Russian champions, you'll know him from the Totally Football Show, it's football encyclopedia and actual Russian, Sasha Gurionov. Um, Sasha, you've been pretty critical of the Russian Premier League and the standard thereof. Does that apply to Zenit too? Are they just the best of a bad bunch or are they actually a decent side? Morning. Uh, well, it is hard. It, it is a little bit hard to tell because they're sort of giants amongst pygmies. I mean, they have they have the money, so they can they can sign better, more and better players than the other teams can. So, for example, at the moment they're going all out on Brazilians, um, but they are seem to be so far ahead of the field uh, financially um, that they're basically, I think, shooing to be champions yet again for the fourth consecutive season, even though we're only seven games into the season now. Uh, they're looking better state than other teams, basically. So the fact that they're unbeaten this season is not particularly impressive? Uh, it's predictable. I, I think that this is what people expected. I mean, you also have to look at the you know, the, the league in which they operate. Um, a, it's skint. Uh, B, uh, you know, Spartak Moscow are in a permanent mess. Um CSK Moscow has run out of money some time ago, uh, so they've kind of been running the shoestring. Uh, well, Lokomotiv now have uh, Rangnik in to see if he can, you know, make um, some sort of fundamental changes. But he's only there as an advisor, even though I think the Russians seem to think that he has some sort of a bigger role. Um, but um, yeah, so I think it's basically the competition isn't there. Uh, so what happens then, they get into Europe and uh, you can see that they are getting weaker and weaker. And possibly you could say that this is one of the weakest champion, Russian champions in recent years or maybe even last couple of decades because if you look at the two 
two Zenit performances in the last two Champions League uh, leagues. I mean, they they were in quite an even group uh, a couple of years ago and managed to finish bottom. And last year was an absolute disaster. I think they they picked up one draw, uh, rock bottom. So they have they failed to get out of the group even into Europa League for the last two years. And uh, it, it's a downward trend for Russian football. And whenever Russian clubs come up against European opposition, um, it's it's really looking quite appalling. I mean, this year Russian clubs managed to lose both. Um, Europa Conference League uh, clubs before the actual tournament and, you know, a team from Gibraltar made it. So, you know, it's, it's not a good look. Are there any players that Chelsea should actually be fearing in this current squad? Presumably Dejan Lovren's not one of them. Well, yeah, Lovren was rested at the weekend. Uh, he didn't play against Ahmad Grozny. Uh, where Zenit actually looked decent. They could have won about 7-1 in the end. They settled for three. Uh, some defensive problems in this early in the second half. Um, but I think the guys... That um, you know, Chelsea fans should be looking out for it. You know, it's the Brazilians. Uh, so, Sergei Simak, who is the manager, um, he you know he's quite um, quite a well regarded pro back in his day. Ten years at CSKA, he moved to PSG for a bit. Uh, was at Rubin, was basically anchoring the um, uh, Russian midfielder in the 2008 Euros for Goose Hiddink and did very very well. So he's kind of you know he's a good good steady bloke. Uh, understands his footy. So he started off with UF, at Ufa which quite a small club, took them into Europe for the first time. And there, um, w- there was like an interpreter who got promoted to an assistant. You know, you can see the pattern here uh, called uh, William Oliveira. And he's Brazilian. And he took took him with him to Zenit. And I think this is where I think the Brazilian influence comes in. So you have, over the last um, two or three years, they signed uh, Douglas Santos from Hamburg, uh, who is a very handy, actually, kind of attacking fullback, wingback, can play centre-mid as well. Might actually have to play centre-mid against uh, Chelsea. Uh, then they um, they have Wendel, uh, whom they signed from Sporting last year. And the marquee signing that has sort of been a little bit mixed, but perhaps is beginning, beginning to come good, is Malcolm. So they got Malcolm from Barcelona a couple of years back. He got injured straight away. And here they paid 40 million euros for him. And that's a lot of money, you know, in current uh, Russian football. But, you know, he scored the winner in the um, uh, Olympics final, uh, which, uh, you know, the entire Russian league was very proud of, you know, one of our, one of our lads there. Uh, but he, you know, if, if, if he's on if he's on song, and he, I think he might create some problems. And the guy up top, uh, Seder Azmoun, uh, the Iranian international, who I think was kind of nearly leaving the club in August, uh, but they couldn't find, really find a replacement. So I think in the end, he didn't, I think Germany, uh, there was a buyer, I think, wanted to get him. So he stayed. And of course, the guy uh, who, you know, whom we associate all of Russian football with uh, is uh, Artem Zuba. Uh, and he he hasn't had the best of seasons so far. In fact, he got dropped uh, for the kind of two bigger games in the early part of the season against CSK and Locomotive, even though he came on against um, CSK and provided a late assist. But over the weekend, he provided a couple of good assists, um, ran the channel once, pulled back. Uh, and the other one, he played a really nice uh, one-two off. Markham played a one-two off him, if you like, as he would off a big tree. Um, but he, so it's been interesting to see if he starts against Chelsea because I mean he's, you know, he's a lumbering centre forward, or lumbering centre forward, lumbering centre forward. But now he's beginning to look really, really slow. And also he hasn't been called up for the Russian national team um, by Valery Karpin, the new manager. Um, and um, obviously Zuba provides a lot of the entertainment in the dressing room, a lot of by the team spirit. So a journalist asked Karpin, so uh, you know the players will miss his jokes maybe they'll be sad now to which Carpin responded I'll tell the jokes I'll be the clown now it's kind of um, he um, there's a bit of a spiky relationship between those two Sasha given how well Aston Villa attacked at uh, the weekend I presume that Zenit will have seen that uh, how do you expect them to set up do you think they'll be conservative and delighted with a point or maybe be more offensive than that 
Well, to be honest, I think they'll be delighted to get away with a respectable defeat, um, if, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, so it would be interesting how they'd approach this, because, I mean, his traditional system is 4-4-2. He can go to three at the back. He can switch to a 4-3-3. Um, but I think the, the fundamental problem, if you compare the Russian league and um, uh, the Premier League, what's really, really evident is, is pace, uh, pace and intensity. And this is what... I think we saw in, say, in the Russian national team uh, recently because Karpin likes to play with, with more pace effectively and, you know, every, everyone runs around a lot more. Uh, the players started breaking down. They just couldn't hack it. Um, so I think also one thing I did see it in, in, in the Chelsea performance at the weekend was um, that Ed, uh, Mendy um, did have a lot of problems on corners in the second half. Uh, a lot of flaps, a lot of drop balls. Maybe it's worth sticking on Duba later on. I think genuinely Duba should not probably be playing because... As an outlet, he will just get marshaled by, I think, Thiago. Uh, I don't think he'll cause any problems at all. Um, so I think they, they will try to play on the break. Um, the question is how long they'll, they'll manage it. Um, I think someone like Douglas Santos can be very effective. Uh, someone like Malcolm can run off. Um, so I think this, this, is, this might be what they hope for. But it'd be interesting. Again, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a team that's going to be playing an unfamiliar football because they can't hog the ball. Uh, they're going to be the one doing the chasing. Will they last more than 60 minutes? You know what? I don't know. Uh, so they, they, we could see possibly a late Zenit collapse because they just can't keep up. Uh, brilliant. Sash, that is fantastic. Thanks very much for your time today. Enjoy the game on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably, I'll maybe not enjoy the game. I'll enjoy the buffet, certainly. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha Gurianov there. Follow him on Twitter at Slasher with three R's on the end. Uh, Simon, I'm interested in the in the Chelsea team that you think is going to start this game. Mount and Christensen didn't feature on Saturday. They might get some minutes. Maybe even the lesser spotted Ben Chilwell. Yeah, I was very interested, uh, spectator, that uh, as always after games, um, there's a post match training session with with the unused su- substitutes. Although Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I didn't really see him do very much. But Ben Chilwell and Ross Barkley stayed out there the longest. They had very very long post-match session and lots of sprinting, lots of running. So I thought, oh, there, there's certainly two people trying to get themselves in some kind of shape. I, I really hope we do see Ben Chilwell because it's it's getting a bit ridiculous now. He hasn't played any football, any competitive football since the Champions League final. And like you, you sort of imagine that this is the time that that uh, he's got to bring him in, Tuchel's got to bring him in. Um, but yeah, look, he made five, six changes I wonder if Sal Niguez will will get another run out because uh, perhaps the pace of this game will suit him more than it did on Saturday. Sam, is there any case to be made to give Romelu Lukaku a rest in this game? I'm just thinking that we know he he was taking that minor thigh problem into Saturday and it's Spurs coming up on Sunday. Given what Sasha's just told us there, Chelsea shouldn't have too many problems in this game. Might, Might it be worth letting him sit this one out? I think there's a, a good case for that. Whether he will or not, we'll have to wait and see. That's probably down to how uh, problematic the the injury concern is, I, I would say. But but yeah, he's he's so pivotal to the chances this season. Showed that on Saturday that you have to, I suppose, look after his minutes um, throughout the season. I think there's definitely a case for that. Certainly in the in the, in the League Cup and the FA Cup when the early rounds of that come around, but. I don't know, he's in, he's in such great form at the moment. I'd still be slightly surprised, but uh, of course the, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too amazed if, if Werner was given the opportunity down the middle, for example. 
Well, whoever starts will bring you all the fallout to Tuesday's game in our Thursday pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team made up for last weekend's opening day defeat at Arsenal by registering their first WSL win of the season. The Blues thumped Everton 4-0 at Kings Meadow. Uh, the strikers stole the show here. Frank Kirby put Chelsea in front. Sam Kerr hit a brace and sub Bethany England scored with her first touch. Um, Sam, I'm interested in how difficult or not it is for a striker to carry over good form from one season to another. Obviously, they had the Olympics in between Kirby and Kerr, but, but Kirby barely featured in that, whereas Kerr went quite deep and, and scored a lot of goals. I guess there's, there's always a danger that momentum could be lost in that, in that break in, in time for your club. Yeah, but I, I just think there's there's such confidence in in Fran Kirby, given what she produced last season, and Kerr obviously has has been an out and out goal scorer, club and country, and there's great competition as well, Matt, which you you have to put into the into the mix as well, where they have to be of a certain level, um, and that was a big win, wasn't it, yesterday? Given the, the defeat against Arsenal, we know the, the fine margins that the WSL was decided on last season, so. They'll be delighted to have responded, got the goals from the four players, but also to see Manchester City slip. So it makes it, um, you know, really interesting that Manchester United game on the horizon who are, who are quite fancied this season. But yeah, I mean, great to see the four players scoring. And I think Wrighton, who is so underrated in the in the side, putting some brilliant deliveries from the left-hand side. Cuthbert, by all accounts, sensational as well. So Brilliant response. Um, I don't think Emma Hayes would allow for the, the four players to slacken off. And I think the confidence, the, the the motivation will be clear for those players and they're going to go close again this season. So great way to get up and running. Yeah, that defeat for Manchester City at home to Spurs really putting the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, Chelsea's bench, including gold medalist Jesse Fleming, goal scorer Beth England, and the likes of Manly Leopold's and, and new signing uh, Aniak Nguyen, that, that kind of strength in depth. 
hopefully will be the difference. Uh, meanwhile, the under-23s, or dev squad if you prefer, got hammered 4-1 at Man City. Birthday boy Harvey Bale had put the Blues ahead, but City were level before half-time and then scored thrice in the closing stages. Better news for the under-18s, though. They maintained their perfect start to the season with a 3-0 win against Birmingham at Cobham. Uh, they've scored 18 goals in their four league games so far. Some of those players will feature for the under-19s on Tuesday. They kick off their UEFA Youth League campaign against Zenit at Cobham at lunchtime in the UK. Uh, nearly done for today. Before we depart, though, Simon, we've mentioned your, your joint piece with Dom on, on Barkley and Baba. Uh, tell us a bit more about your, your post-match bit on uh, on Lukaku and Sal. Yeah, it's kind of a similar sort of theme, really, a tale of two two contrasts, um, the dream debut and the nightmare, well, home debut, I'm talking with Lukaku, and the and the uh, the nightmare debut of Saul. Um, and just sort of highlighting that, you know, we've got one, it just showed how one is, is ready to make an instant impact at Chelsea and the other one is going to need a bit of time and, and patience, hopefully, from the supporters. It was a, it was a, obviously a poor performance from Sal, but I hope um, no one's made any sort of conclusions and assessments of Sal. We, you know, it's far too early to judge him on that one forty-five minute display, um, and hopefully he'll uh, he'll learn from it and sort of realise that he can't spend twenty-five seconds with a cigar, uh, trolling with the ball on the edge of his own area <laughs> in future, not in this league. Um, so yeah, that that that's a piece that I did uh, for the game. But um, in terms of this week, um, I will be um, hopefully combining forces, domestic matters permitting, um, with um, our Tottenham correspondent Charlie Eccleshare about uh, the interesting rapport between the two boardrooms. Always a friendly uh, exchange, I think, between those two over the years. Certainly when transfers uh, come to mind. Excellent. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you are not currently a subscriber. Uh, Sam, you're off to Bournemouth on Tuesday night to see Dominic Solanke in action. You and I watched uh, an awful lot of him for the Chelsea U team in that season where he got 40 plus goals. He's had a, a bit of a wayward career up until the last year or so. He, he looks like he might be the player that we thought he was going to be in that uh, mega successful Chelsea youth team back in the day. Yeah, he had a really impressive season last time out, actually. And I, I knew or I know the staff at, at Bournemouth quite well. Um, and they were never convinced that he was going to be an out-and-out goal scorer, if you like. So I think he surpassed their expectation. And I'm sure they worked with him last year, but he's in line to have a really good campaign this year and made some good signings as well, Bournemouth. So, yeah, looking forward to, to that tomorrow. And um, I don't know if producer Lucy's aware of this, but I've got a, a scouting mission on Thursday, Ren v Tottenham. So um, I'll be getting a, uh, a report off to Thomas Tuchel after seeing how they get on in the... <laughs> The illustrious uh, competition, 5.45 kickoff on Thursday. Excellent. Uh, Chelsea not involved in Thursday night action because they're in the proper competition, of course. That'll just about do it for today, then. We'll be back on Thursday. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.